Please turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 56 through to 59. Considering the discerning, discerning the signs of the time. That's the title, discerning the signs of the time. I'm going to read those verses to you now. Luke chapter 12, verse 56. Jesus speaking and he says, Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that ye do not discern this time? Yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. I tell thee, Thou shalt not depart thence till thou hast paid the very last mite, or the very last penny, whatever. This morning we're going to continue with our look at Luke's Gospel. And we've, we've seen over the past weeks, Jesus was teaching a multitude of people. And those people not only included his disciples, people that were trusting in him, but also there were those who believed not. And that will become patently obvious in today's passage. We left off last time with Jesus saying that he had not come to give peace on earth, but division. Do you remember that one? Even in the family, there will be division. Look what Jesus said. In chapter 12 and verse 53. The father shall be divided against the son. And the son against the father. The mother against the daughter. The daughter against the mother. The mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. And the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's not an an exhaustive list. Because you you can, when you read... Uh, what Paul has to say. Paul says that be speaking to believers, be be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Another sure way to have division under the same roof is when you've got a husband and wife, one of them's a Christian and the other one isn't. And uh, this is what we see in 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 so many homes. There's division for vi- because essentially under the same roof, you've got some people who are living their lives by faith of the Son of God who loved them and gave Himself for them, and you've got others in the same household who are living their lives for themselves, what they can get out of this life. And obviously there's going to be a lot of friction, a lot of contention. What we shall be looking at this morning are some very strong words coming from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Directed at people who make it their business 
to discern earthly things, such as the weather signs, but not matters pertaining to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God have sent into the world. First of all, discerning weather signs. Look at verse 54 and 55. And he, s- he said also to the people, When ye see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway ye say, There cometh a shower, and so it is. And when ye see the south wind blow, ye say, There will be heat, and it cometh to pass. A lot of people fancy themselves as amateur weather forecasters. Yeah? There are some in here today, I know that. I certainly don't consider myself to be much of a weather forecaster. I'm hopeless at it. But I think it's fair to say that my dear wife Pauline is pretty good at um, forecasting the weather. She's the one who tells... She'll look up to the sky and tell me things. Tell me how the weather is going to behave tomorrow. And I'm looking up at the same sky and uh, clueless. I haven't got a clue. I don't see the things that she seems able to see in the sky. I, I, anyway, that's us. The people whom the Lord Jesus Christ was talking to would, would have known that when the clouds formed over the west, over the Mediterranean Sea, rain was on the way. And they would have known that when a warm wind blew south of the Arabian desert, a heat wave was probably coming. They would have known those things. There are those who made it their business to discern what the weather will be like. Back then, um, farmers would have made it their business to, to have some idea how the weather was going to behave. But people generally would have made it their business, just like we do now. And there are experts as well who quite literally make it their business to forecast the weather, such as meteorologists. They are trained to do such things. There are some very notable times when they, the so-called experts, the meteorologists, get it wrong and they have got it wrong, such as in 1987, when a woman rung the BBC and said that she heard that there was a hurricane coming. Apparently, a certain TV weatherman said to his TV audience, well, if you're watching, don't worry, there isn't. No hurricane coming. As it turned out, as it turned out, a storm arose that was the worst to hit the southeast of England for three centuries, causing record damage and killing 19 people. Although in fairness to that weatherman, technically it wasn't a hurricane. But he got it wrong. Generally, even though the weather is beyond our control, there are many people who discern to varying degrees what the weather will be like and we might then arrange ventures outside in accordance with what they've said. We listen to the weatherman and we might dress according to what has been said. Secondly, Jesus then spoke of the failure of people 
to discern the sign of the time. Verses 56 and 57. Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that ye do not discern this time? Yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is an actor or a pretender. When you think of actors, they're pretending. They're playing a role, aren't they? The scribes and Pharisees were prime examples of being pretenders, being actors, being stage players. For example, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus denounced the scribes and the Pharisees as being hypocrites and he likened them to whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. In other words, their hearts were far from God. They had wickedness in their hearts, although on the outside they appeared to be very religious and holy men. But inside they were full of rottenness, full of wickedness. A bunch of hypocrites. We can all very easily act the hypocrite, putting on an act or a pretense, especially when we criticise others or take others to task for some wrongdoing when we are secretly committing the same act of wrongdoing, the same sin ourselves. So easy to do, isn't it? To condemn others when we're guilty ourselves. The hypocrisy that is being addressed by the Lord Jesus Christ in our passage is one of the people being able to discern the signs of the weather but seemingly not being able to discern the fulfilment of the Old Testament promises of a saviour. Where Jesus said, how is it that ye do not discern this time, this time referred to Jesus being into the world and that was something that was accurately forecast in the Old Testament scriptures by the prophets of God as they were inspired by God the Holy Spirit and it's not as if there are only one or two vague prophecies that may or may not be about Jesus. I read one of them to you earlier on Isaiah 53, it's so obviously about the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said to you, that was spoken, that prophecy was spoken over 700 years before Jesus came into the world. And at the end of Luke's Gospel in chapter 24, Jesus, who by that time had laid down his life for sin and he'd risen from the dead. He was walking along the road with two disciples. Their eyes were initially holden or restrained from knowing him. They were walking with him, but they didn't even realise who it was that they were walking with. But then Jesus said to them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses 
and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So as they continued on that journey, Jesus spoke to them about the Old Testament prophecies concerning him. Remember, there were no New Testament scriptures then. They hadn't been written. But Jesus opened up the Old Testament prophecies to them, showing all the things that were to happen to him, including his death that we saw in Isaiah chapter 53. Clearly enshrined in Old Testament prophecy. The Old Testament prophecies speak of miraculous works that the Christ would do. For example, in Isaiah chapter 35 verses 4 and 6, the prophet said, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart or a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. That speaks of all the miraculous works of Jesus. Unstopping ears, ears that were deaf, once deaf to the gospel, such as people in here today. At one time, you, the, the gospel message just bounced off you or went in one ear and out the other. Until such time, God himself, he opened your ears to hear that message. You who were blind, to the things of Almighty God. Now, by the grace of God, you, dear Christians, you see the Lord Jesus Christ through the eye of faith. You see him in all his glory. And he has given you a joy, a deep joy in your heart. This is what this prophecy is all about. Jesus coming into the world, performing miracles. He was quite literally giving people uh, hearing people who were deaf and giving people who were blind their sight and so on. And all of that pointed to spiritual realities such as you, Christian, who were blind but now you see, who were deaf but now you hear. Let's take it even further than that. Who was dead, you were dead in your sins but now you are made alive. And there's, as I say that, it reminds me of a miracle that Jesus performed, raising up Lazarus from the dead. By the word of his power, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. A Lazarus who had been dead for four days and his body began to stink. He rose from the dead. And that points to a spiritual truth. That each one of you who is trusting in Jesus, you have been raised up to newness of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins. But so we've got that prophecy in Isaiah 35 verses 4 and 6. Jesus was doing those things and he was doing much more besides in fulfilment of those prophecies. 
And by the way, did you catch the first bit of what I said to you when I was reading Isaiah 35 verses 4 and 6? Jesus said, behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Even there in that prophecy, we're told that the promised saviour is God. God manifest in the flesh. One of the Old Testament scriptures about the coming Messiah and even his sacrificial death is Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 and 7. Again, I, I read those verses a short while ago. And in those verses... The prophet Isaiah said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. I'm going to just pause there. All this nonsense you hear about from people, I laid my sins, I gave Jesus my sins, he gave me his righteousness. Rubbish. You didn't give Jesus anything. Your sin was laid upon Jesus by God. It pleased the Lord to bruise him and to lay your iniquity upon his son whilst you were dead in your sin. God commended or demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. With regards a lamb being brought to the slaughter, what is it that John the Baptist said when he heralded the coming of Jesus? He said, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And you see that John the Baptist, rather, he is clearly saying in those words that Jesus is the fulfilment of Isaiah 53. He is the Lamb that is brought to the slaughter, the Lamb of God. Yet for all that, And not forgetting the powerful words that proceeded from the mouth of the incarnate Son of God. The Jewish people as a whole esteemed him not. They received him not. And ultimately, what did they do? They crucified him. Despite all of the prophecies concerning him, they esteemed him not. They did not respect him. They did not reverence him. They turned their faces away from him and ultimately they crucified him. As a nation, the Jews paid dearly for their willful rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The consequences of which were foretold by Jesus in various passages. So we, in the Old Testament, you have all the prophecies concerning the coming Christ. But then you get to the Christ the Lord Jesus Christ coming into the world and you can see in the Gospels Jesus himself prophesying or predicting things that would happen 
including his coming again in judgment. But Jesus also had quite a bit to say about the Jews. Judgment upon the Jewish nation. Just look, don't lose your place in Luke 12, but uh, turn to chapter 19. You'll see what I mean. Luke 19, I'm going to read from verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city, that's Jerusalem of course, and wept over it, saying, If thou had known even now at least in this thy day the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. All these things would come upon the nation because they knew not the time of his visitation, the visitation of Jesus. In fulfilment of those words of Jesus, Jerusalem and its temple were destroyed about 40 years later. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, Jerusalem was thronged with many people who had come to celebrate Passover. And 1.1 million people, the majority of them Jewish, were killed during the siege. In fulfilment of those words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they knew not the time of his visitation. I find it interesting to note that at the time of the siege of Jerusalem in uh, 70 AD, The city was filled with Jews who had come to celebrate the Old Testament Passover feast. That in itself says something. You can, you can picture it for yourself. They would have gone to Jerusalem from all parts of the world to celebrate that feast, to sacrifice animals, uh, to, to, to remember, um, that feast. But what was that feast all about? That feast was a pointer to Jesus, the one whom they rejected and they crucified. How ironic is that? That they religiously came to to, to partake of a feast, celebrate a feast that was a big signpost to Jesus. He is the Passover lamb. He is the sacrifice. And yet they received him not. And they rejected him. And as Josephus says, I don't know how accurate he would have been, but according to Josephus, 1.1 million people, the majority of them Jewish, were killed during the siege of Jerusalem. In our passage, we see Jesus in the midst of the people in in chapter 16, uh, Sorry, chapter 12, in the midst of the people, 
All the evidence pointed to him being the Messiah and still they knew him not. It was a pretense. They had resolved or made up their mind not to discern the time of his coming. And that's why Jesus called them hypocrites. He wasn't being nice to them, was he? No one likes to be called a hypocrite. If Jesus called them hypocrites, then that's what they were, hypocrites. It was a pretense. Although they were able to make fairly accurate assessments of the weather by observing and studying certain un, uh, or rather uncertain clues in the sky, they appeared unable to conclude that Jesus is the Christ, despite there being overwhelming evidence of it. All the things that Jesus was doing in fulfilment of the prophecies, the Jewish prophecies. In verse 58, Jesus said, let's go back to chapter 12, verse 58, Jesus said, When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. It behoves everyone to examine the facts to make a sound judgment about what the right course of action is and to respond accordingly no pretense no hypocrisy do what act in accordance with what the evidence is saying to you Do you know, I can, I've, I've said this story so many times, I hope you don't get bored with it, it um, but it's the story of the, the American Jew in, in, in Holland backpacking through Europe and uh, he was invited to the home of some Christians and they read to him Isaiah 53 and then they asked him, who do you think this is about? He didn't know that they were reading from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Scriptures. And when they asked him, who do you think this is about? He he answered correctly. He said, well, this is about your Jesus. And then they told him, it's from the Old Testament prophecies, Isaiah 53. And apparently he became a Christian that day. The evidence was overwhelming. How different that is to someone that I was listening to recently on on YouTube, a prominent um, American Jew. He is um, a YouTuber, he's um, an activist, he's got a lot to say about things that are going on in the the world. Um, He's someone that most of you will know. But he was being interviewed by a Christian man. Uh, about Jesus and the Christian who was interviewing him was himself a prominent Christian but he did a lousy job as far as I'm concerned he was trying to persuade this American Jew this famous American Jew that Jesus is the Messiah and he appealed to the 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 the, the fact that Historically, you know, people accept that Jesus was real, that he came into the world. He was, he was 
appealing to certain historical accounts. But what he did not do was take him to the Old Testament prophecies. And do what I'm doing with you now, quite honestly. Because when you just look at the Old Testament prophecies, these prophecies that were given to the Jews, first of all, and you see how obvious they were, how obviously they were fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there's no excuse whatsoever. He didn't do that though. And all this American Jew had to do was say, well, there's no, because he wasn't appealing to the Old Testament prophecies, all the Jew had to do was say, well, you might believe that, but um, I don't. It was convenient for him not to. And he continued with his pretense. He continued with his hypocrisy. And that's how the interview ended. Thirdly, a final warning against the hypocrisy of rejecting Christ. Verses 58 and 59. When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. I tell thee, thou shalt not depart thence till thou hast paid the very last mite. In the illustration in these verses, Jesus is highlighting the importance of you, each one of you, being reconciled to whoever has a grievance against you, lest that person take you to the authorities, take you to court, you end up being found guilty and assigned a place in prison until such time your debt has been paid in full. Any sane person will readily agree that seeking reconciliation and settling the debt that he owes before the dispute reaches court with inevitably severe consequences is the best way forward. Don't wait until it gets to court. Sort it out before that. Only a foolish debtor would ignore the facts and let the matter be decided in a court of law if an opportunity to settle the matter outside of court exists. That said, there are many who fit that description and perhaps one or two are in here this morning. I say that because all have sinned, all come short of the glory of God, all who have not received Jesus and have not believed on his name, have a debt of sin that they can never repay. That debt of sin is a very heavy burden indeed. But the good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ, who is despised and rejected by men, took upon himself the debt of sin for all who trust in him. As the God of their salvation. Jesus has done these things. We've read it in Isaiah 53. You have all the Old Testament prophecies. Concerning the Saviour. And the fulfilment of those prophecies. In the New Testament. In fact. With the completion of the New Testament. You actually have. 
more evidence of the fact that Jesus is the promised Christ, the promised Messiah, the Saviour. You've got more evidence of it than the people who were in that crowd that Jesus spoke to. That may sound strange to you, but you've got more now than they had, even though they had Jesus in the midst of them, speaking to them. You've got far more than that crowd that Jesus called hypocrites. Well, what do you have that they didn't have? Let's go back to the Old Testament. Psalm 22, which David wrote about a thousand years before Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In verse 1 of Psalm 22, it is written, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Well, I wonder who might be saying that. Is that David speaking about himself? David who wrote the psalm? Is he the one to whom this applies? My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Not at all. We who now have the completed Bible with the New Testament, we know that they are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not David, but Jesus. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. It is written, About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We've got all the details of what Jesus said on the cross when he when the sins of his people were laid upon him we have that in the gospels and still in psalm 22 in verse 16 through to 18 david said the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me they pierced my hands and my feet I may tell or count all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And again, in case you hadn't already guessed it, all of those things were fulfilled at the cross where the Lamb of God, who was the, who was promised in the Old Testament, sacrificially laid down his life. And we have all the details in the Gospels of the, the, the soldiers casting lots for his vesture. And his hands and his feet being pierced. What I'll say in conclusion is, don't act ignorant about the facts that you've probably already heard in this place concerning the Lord Jesus Christ on numerous occasions. Don't just steam on ahead with your plans each day, taking full advantage of all the signs and clues that are available in order to, to, to discern earthly events such as weather, take, you take full advantage of the weather forecasts and various other things each day, Things that are of interest to you and things that you deem to be important in your daily life. There's more to it than that. So much more to life. Whilst don't just 
do that and pay zero attention to the weight of evidence pointing to Jesus being Christ, the Son of God. And that would include signs such as his miraculous works, the record of his miraculous works, some of which are meticulously recorded in the Gospels. For example, concerning the miracles of Jesus, John wrote in his Gospel account in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, the things that we do read in John's Gospel, the miraculous works, these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. John's saying, these things that I've written in my Gospel account concerning the miraculous works of Jesus, they're there so that you can believe Believe that he is the Messiah and that by believing that you might have life through faith in his name. Believing in him. When I first began to acknowledge the reality of God about 30, well 40, I don't know how long ago it was now. I was 36 years of age. I read the Bible for hours on end. I didn't just dismiss it. I'd begun to think about God. I was 36 years of age. Began to think about God. And I can remember sitting at the poolside of a hotel in the Algarve in Portugal. I treated myself to a nice holiday, having completed my university degree course. Sitting at that poolside, reading my brand new Bible, day in and day out. That's all I did throughout that holiday. I couldn't wait to get back to England and to go to a church. Because I was reading the truth, the word of God. I was being exposed to truth, pure, unadulterated truth for the first time in my life. I could have dismissed it, but by the grace of God, I didn't. And I read about things that happened. The the first, I started at Genesis, by the way. I can remember reading through Genesis at the poolside. And that first promise of God about the seed of the woman bruising the head of the seed of the serpent. That first gospel promise. And you follow that trail and it takes you to Jesus and his finished work at the cross. I now have a niece in England. My niece has now told me, when I saw her a few days ago, that she's bought herself a Bible. She wouldn't have seen what was going on inside me when she said that. What wonderful words to hear from her. She's about 40, she's in her 40s and she's finally bought herself a Bible. And she wants to know truth. And my prayer is that when she reads the prophecies concerning Jesus, prophecies written years and years before he even came into the world, and then she follows the signpost to his work when he did come into the world, 
His obedience unto death, even the death of the cross. That again, by the grace of God, she will receive him as her saviour. Because the alternative is to just dismiss it all. To, to, to be the hypocrite. So, that's a warning to all of us. Examine the scriptures. Listen to what I'm saying. Go away. Read it for yourself. See if it's true. Don't ignore the facts concerning Jesus. Rather than play the hypocrite, it is infinitely better to respond in the appropriate way, having considered the overwhelming evidence in the Bible. Infinitely better to know God as your loving Heavenly Father than to have the wrath of God abide on you for your rejection of Jesus. That says something about how much what God thinks of hypocrites who who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone in here who is not a Christian, who has not received Jesus, believing that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the wrath of God abides on you even now. Jesus calls such people hypocrites and the wrath of God abides on them. Is that you, I wonder? And ultimately, not only does the wrath of God abide on you if you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, but you face the prospect of being cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Don't wait for the day of judgment, which is also a reality. And as I've already said, Jesus had much to say about his coming again in judgment, because then it will be too late. We've seen that the, the sensible thing is to um, to settle your debt before it goes to court, to be reconciled to your adversaries before it gets to court. Far better to be reconciled to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in him and his cross work, the blood that he shed at the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because when Jesus comes again in judgment, it will be too late. No second chances then. So don't wait for the day of judgment which is a reality, it is well documented in the Bible, now is the time to be reconciled to God through faith in the risen Saviour, believing that the heavy load of your sin was laid upon him in fulfilment of prophecy. Amen.